This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 575 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. On this week's episode, we are joined by author Andrea Waldo for our book club book, Brain Training for Riders. Then Megan Brady is on again to tell us all about equine bodywork. After that, Reese and I will tackle a trainer tip about riding experienced schoolmasters. This is Reese Scoffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you this week? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we're <laughs> we're just in the groove. Every day is just like the last one and will be just like the next one. And then hopefully nothing interrupts that that yes, flow that we've got exactly. going right now. Exactly. No, it's so true. I'm still, I'm still getting the days wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed in your in your texts back and forth, <laughs> you know, between me and some other people, you're like, tomorrow we're gonna do this. I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, you're like, it's Wednesday, not Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why. I mean, we're we're pretty rocking and rolling. I, I'm gonna blame it on the heat, not the uh, environment. You know what's going on in the world. Uh, it's it's still very hot here, so I'm just gonna blame it on that and go with okay. it. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So what have you been up to? Tell tell, tell me all about it. Tell you all about it. I think a little lack of sleep because we're still, you know, it's still kind of 93, 95 during the day. So we're getting up really early and getting the horses out and getting going. Yeah. So, um, so that's good, but, uh, cool. everybody's good. Yeah. We, okay. Scott Hassler, my coach is coming in this weekend. Uh, we're going to okay. do a, a very quiet, socially distanced, not clinic is too aggressive of a word, some but we have some lessons coming in. Get I'm some super, yeah, really excited to have okay. Scott come in. It feels really normal. You know, it was, uh, he, it, it was three months since I saw him last time. So he was here, uh, about three or four weeks ago. So it's great. I've been really jazzed about my homework again, even professional riders. Like we, we love our lessons just as much as everyone else and, uh, keeps us trucking along. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, we have not heard yet about the, u.s festival of champions um so we'll see big mike looks like he may make the list so uh that is awesome so it kind of gives me again kind of slogging along i'm still we're still trying to get that developing pre-st george better and and doing really well so all is well down here well i started working with uh you know at the farm we have various ages of horses and we have a two-year-old so i started kind of working with him and (laughs) <laughs> That's, uh, I wouldn't call that fun, but it's really interesting. You <laughs> sure. know, you have to be, you have to be a little bit careful because you're just, I mean, you're introducing them to everything, right? Yes. You know, as far as, um, they, they don't get handled a whole lot. They, they live kind of in a run-in field where they're free to be horses and, and all that stuff. They, they come in to get the farrier every six weeks or five, six weeks or whatever, but that's. Yeah. basically it so we brought him over to the 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 working barn where the riding horses are yep. he came over there and kind of <laughs> he's getting getting used to all that experience so yeah it's all so. new and scary yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's really good he's really he's really cute it's uh um 
It's a Bellissimo quarterback. Uh, oh, cool. Gelding. Woo! He's a gelding. But, uh, oh, how yeah. fun. He's got some good breed, bloodlines. And uh, anyways, we're just seeing how he, yeah, how he, yeah. how he deals with it. So, yeah, we we kind of have a similar situation. Yeah. yeah. My, my assistant actually, um, you know, something's just happened and, uh, she was looking for a new horse and, and my former assistant works at a wonderful charity called new vocations and she's the rider there. So, uh, Sarah and Dominique were talking and Dominique got this horse in and she called right away and said, Sarah, you got to come look at this horse. Uh, so we also got a new project. He's a five-year-old thoroughbred which is really cool. He, he raced till he was four and then he'd already had a year out. And, uh, it's amazing that four to five year, how they mature. Like he's, he's yeah. been great. Like he knew how to get on the trailer and he's been <laughs> perfect here at the farm. And actually today was the first day she sat on him because at that particular charity, some of the, the thoroughbred charities are different. Uh, that particular charity, um, you don't sit on them. They have their own riders and the riders, okay. ha- we happen to know one of the riders very well. So yeah. I felt pretty comfortable. Um, but it, yeah, this was the first time she sat on him. So uh, again, very, a little bit careful, but he, he did a great, you know, she was, did a great job and he's, he's been lunging and same kind of thing. Like he understands sort of what's going on the, during the week and, and that kind of thing. So same cool. thing, slow and steady. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's important. You just, there's no timeline on that per se, but today yeah. she had to get her saddle fitted. So she did have to get on him. But it was, it was all good. So it was fun. We took some pictures and and it's going to be fun to see her journey too. So maybe we'll have her come and catalog that as well. And you, you can let us know how your baby's doing. So. Oh, well, he's not going to, he's not going to do a whole lot. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, lunge him or anything like that. Just sort of, you know, sometimes if they're being pretty good, I'll put a surcingle on and not, not to lunge him, just to get the feel of something on their back. But basically it's about, it's about routine. You know, yeah. and and being cross-eyed and being yeah. brushed and and just like you know, here we're people, we're cool yeah. too. You know, <laughs> you want to hang we're, with us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, there's a really funny is that he he won't eat uh, treats. So I've got Aww. I've got treats in the arena. I have treats in the grooming stall, whatever available. And yeah. and he's like, you put it, give him a sugar, and the other horses pr- pretty much take your fingers off. And he's like, <laughs> mm, I don't yeah. I don't like that. So then I sometimes I just. <laughs> You, you pop it in the corner of their mouth so they yeah. get a little taste and learn to, because I'm a big fan of bribery, you know, yeah, in the, in the I'm horse training. Bribery. So, yeah, I like to bribe them, but they can't be bribed if they don't even know what a treat is. So you got you to gotta introduce that a little bit. Train them to, before you bribe them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that's like my niece and nephew. They're they're totally, I, I of course, I'm an aunt. I bribe, you know, they're totally bribable. Yeah. It's awesome. Like, <laughs> you want to go to get ice cream? Let's do this. And they'll, they do it great for me. It's fantastic. Yeah, it works. It works pretty good. Works my sister good. hates it, so, but I think it's fun. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, we hope everyone's doing well where you are. Obviously, uh, the COVID restrictions in the U.S. are are, are coming down again. So um, we kind of upped our protocol again this week. We've been being careful, but we kind of re-upped it a little bit. Our state requires masks now, and so we kind of re-upped it. So I hope everyone's staying safe where you are. And let's end this thing. Let's just end it like Canada. Let's be like Phil. <laughs> <Not> like- <laughs> I wasn't personally responsible, but... If I can take a little credit, I will. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we've we've been doing we've been doing pretty good, but now we're it's open. Now we're opening up slowly and carefully. Now we're opening up. Uh, We're in phase three, so we're just 
you know, hope people are responsible and, right. you know, don't pretend like it doesn't exist. And, and we're going negative. <laughs> we're going yeah. back. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, but we'll we hope everyone's being we'll safe. Be we'll get through we'll it. Okay. And, and again, kind of, you know, we've been trying to be a, a fun community. Uh, I think it's actually week 12 of dressage rider training. If you've made it this far, congratulations. Congratulations. We didn't. <laughs> Bill and I have been but, fallen but soldiers. I'm going to do the yoga. I'm going to do the yoga. Yep. I've been doing the yoga. Saturday. As yeah, I oh, good. get back going into it, I am going to yep. get back going into it. And yeah. uh, I think I've been doing do yoga that. in the core. I just, I've been, I had to be careful with the fitness because of my knee. So I've been almost done, but I, I, I didn't do the fitness for it, <laughs> but we hope you guys are doing well. And, and with that, and, and again, send us your stories on how it went. Uh, we, we enjoyed that. Nicola came on last week. So we hope you're enjoying that and the workouts going well. And we have Phil drum roll, our book club book. Uh, brain training for riders and we have the author andrea waldo on and we hope you enjoy and we're looking forward to this book well as everybody knows we have been really pushing up our book club during quarantine time and we have a great one for you we are so excited about this book and we also have the author so our book club book for this month is brain training for riders and andrea waldo is the author and she is joining us Welcome, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled because this is a book that is in print, but it is also an audio book, right? So we can, we That's can, right. we have lots of ways to get it. Well, I, I'm going to go audio, I think, because I love it when I'm kind of driving around. I love audio books now and podcasts and all the things. So Andrea, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I had a very strange uh, path to, to where I am. I'm a riding instructor. I'm a trainer. Um, I own a farm in uh, Ferrisburg, Vermont, with two other women. Uh, it's called Triple Combination Farm. And so we've owned that for about 14 years now. And I'm an event rider. Um, did my first advanced a few years ago. And I also, for about 18 years, was also a psychotherapist. And so those two things came together, and that's sort of how the book got created. Um, I didn't start competing until I was in my 20s. I was a, you know, I was a horse-crazy kid, but didn't have access to a whole lot of stuff. Hadn't even really heard of eventing until I got into, until really almost until I got into it. And so I got to ride a little bit when I was young, but mainly dove right into it when I got into graduate school. And it kind of kept me sane all through grad school. Uh, and then that evolved. My husband likes to joke that, you know, my original goal was to take one lesson a week on a school horse and look where we are now. Um, <laughs> but a lot, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of crazy. But then along that whole, that whole trajectory, I was also uh, doing therapy at the same time as um, working with primarily um, survivors of trauma of one type or another. I did a lot of work with teenage girls. I did a lot of work with adults uh, and doing a lot of work in, in the trauma recovery field. And what ended up happening was I started working with a lot of riders who were coming to me with anxiety issues, um, everything from fear about learning to cancer to getting over a bad fall. Uh, and I started drawing on all the work that I was doing in my trauma therapy, trauma therapy practice. And it sort of evolved into this program that I call Brain Training for Riders. Um, the the name of my of my business is Stressless Riding Equestrian Coaching, and it's so much fun. I love working with people on this stuff. Um, it's amazing how people are able to 
you know, start from a place where they feel really frozen and really stuck uh, and just kind of work their way forward so that things start to get easier and they start to feel more confident uh, and they start to realize that they can do all the cool things that they wanted to do with their horses. So I closed my practice about uh, nine years ago now. So I'm not doing therapy anymore, but I still work with riders all the time. And it's been just something that I absolutely love to do in addition to my usual teaching. So it's been really cool. That is awesome. I think, you know, Reese and I and and a lot of dressage trainers come to riders new to our sport because, uh, I don't know, I've heard it a lot like, oh, well, I've decided to, you know, I, I was jumping in my 20s or I was eventing in my 20s and I've just, you know, I had a bad fall and I'd like to get back into riding, you know, maybe 10 years after that. Um, but I've, I think I should just stick to dressage. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and then, the, so they're bringing that experience of a bad fall, and probably, um, you know, in a lot of cases, caused them to stop riding, and then mm-hmm. now they want to get going riding again. So there's, we we get a lot of riders with baggage. I would I would call mm-hmm. it or, or try and say it that way if that makes sense. And, yeah, absolutely. And so as dressage trainers, we are having to help with the baggage and, along with riding lessons. So in, right. in some ways, in some ways, we're we're becoming a bit of you know, therapy therapists and, and riding instructors all the time. I think that's that's, I think you know, jumping trainers and are are universally you know kind of that anyways. So I think uh, if your book could help us bring some tools to to that experience, uh, that would be really yes. incredible, really awesome, and help us yeah. as trainers, but uh, help riders as well. Yeah, well, and that's definitely part of what the impetus was to write to write the book. I had started to give some workshops, and a bunch of my friends who are trainers came up to me and were like, "You have to write this down. Like, you need to write a book so that we can hand it to our students because you've got the, you know, you've got a degree in this, and we don't, and we we can help, but we don't always know what to do and what to say. And there's a lot, you know, I think in addition to people coming with baggage, there's also a lot of people starting out riding as adults now, which didn't happen, I think, as much. Uh, you know, in earlier times, and that carries a whole level of of difference too. So when you're learning as an adult, like your body isn't developing sports specific reflexes anymore the way it did when you were nine years old, and you also just have this greater knowledge of the world as a pretty unsafe place where bad things can happen, and so you don't have that sort of bulletproof attitude that you did when you were a little kid. Uh, and so, you know, when little kids learn to ride, they're falling off, they're getting back on, they're falling off, they're getting back on and they don't think anything of it. Um, when you're 35 and you have two children and a mortgage and a job to sustain, you're thinking falling off could be a really big deal and I can't afford to get hurt. And so that really changes how you approach it as a rider. And one of the things that I really focus on in the book is helping people understand how their brain works under stress and why it, why we do what we do when we're stressed out because people come to me all the time, both in my lessons and, and in my coaching practice. And, and they're like, I know all the things I'm supposed to do. I know when my horse spooks, I'm supposed to sit back. I'm supposed to soften my arms. I'm not supposed to grab a hold of the reins and get tight in my knees, but I do it anyway. And so what I talk about is the whole fight or flight response that your body goes into when you feel threatened in some way, when you're scared by something. And the problem is the more primitive part of your brain that I refer to as the lizard brain takes over. 
And so that's your fight or flight response. That's the part of you that wants to either get out of there or fight whatever is threatening you. And it clenches up, rolls up into a ball. Um, you know, you breathe really fast, you get really tight. Um, and then your thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex, your rational brain shuts off in the middle of that fight or flight response, <laughs> which is why we can't think straight when we're nervous, because we literally don't have access to the part of our brain that does that. So people get really frustrated with themselves for not being able to remember what they know. But what I try to do is help them understand that the, it's, it's not that you're stupid. It's not that you're a bad rider. It's that this is what our brains evolved to do for millions of years. And it's really hard to shut that off just because you want to sit on a horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, we, we evolved to the reason your brain shuts off in those situations is because you don't have the luxury of logical, rational thought when you're being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, <laughs> which is how this yeah. stuff evolved. It evolved to protect us from those kind of threats. And so if you sat around thinking about it for too long, then you'd get eaten by the tiger and that's the end of it. Um, and unfortunately, our brains haven't evolved a new mechanism for dealing with things like how to handle a spook or how to handle the stress of riding a dressage test. And I find when people stop giving themselves a hard time about why they're doing what they're doing, it kind of takes away a whole layer of stress. Like, no, it's really normal to feel this way. And it's really normal to do that stuff. And so a lot of times I'm just sort of letting people know that what they're doing makes total sense based on how our brains develop. Well, that, you know, I, I can understand that because, you know, as you coach someone and, and, you know, I've coached some really amazing people and very successful people and they're doing like a training level test, for example, and, and they can do that test at the, at home. We can go to a schooling show, but we take it to a recognized horse show and it is like, you watch it and you're like, what is happening to this person? Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. just... Or, or I see it too a lot when people are trying to get their medals, you know, they're trying to get their 60%. So, and I'm like, right. I would not have sent you to the horse show if you can't <laughs> do this. So it becomes right. a huge mental game. And then once I get that 60%, I always say like, oh, thank God, because then we can actually right. like train, <laughs> you know, like we right. can, okay, exactly. We can so, I mean, what yeah. are some strategies there? Cause that is a huge, that's for me, like you know, it's just mind boggling sometimes where I want to be like, just, you got this, relax. Show, yeah. show anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. Show yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Oh. So, so one of the things that we forget a lot is that showing is a whole separate set of skills than riding. It's not the same thing. And so, because we've got the anxiety of performance, right? So we know we're being judged. We know we have skin in the game. We care about it a lot. Um, we spent a lot of money to do it. And so all of those pressures come in and then you've got, um, you know, you've got unpredictable situations, you know, the footing's bad, the weather's bad there, you know, somebody's horse is throwing a hissy fit in the warm up and, and, you know, getting your horse worked up. And those are all dealing with all of those things is a really different skill set than our riding skills per se. And so I think one of the things that, um, I always encourage people to do is like, if you want to, if, if you've decided you want to show, you got kind of got to spend a whole season showing as much as you can to get through those situations and sort of get some experience. You know, I think as professionals, a lot of times we might get nervous and we might care, you know, we might be, you know, a little bit anxious, but we don't have the same level of it because we do it a lot more. Um, and we've done it a lot more with a lot of, a lot more different horses than our students usually have. Uh, and so we forget that we sort of picked up these showing skills along the way. And again, if you did it as a kid, it tends to be easier as well. 
So a lot of it is being able to have a plan about how you're going to handle yourself under stress and realizing that like, okay, when I get there, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot different than when I ride this test at home. Like, um, you know, what, what should I do in the warm up? What are my goals? If I'm getting tense, how can I handle that? Um, I always bring people back to the absolute basics, which is first of all, you got to breathe. Um, and then you got to, soften your, your elbows and soften your hips. And then you got to do the next right thing. <laughs> like that's always what I tell people when, you know, when their brain shuts down, like just pause, get yourself together, take a big breath, slow everything down and then get softer and decide on one thing that you can do to make the situation better. Um, learning to stay present in the moment rather than getting distracted by thoughts about the score or thoughts about what you just did, you know, the transition that you just blew. If you spend four strides thinking about that transition, you've just wasted four strides that you could have spent making the next, you know, the next movement better. Right. Yeah. Um, and so practicing staying in the moment and I actually have people practice things going wrong. So like I'll have somebody ride their test at home and I'll interrupt them in the middle. You know, I'll blow the whistle and then go, oh, I'm sorry. You were fine. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, have them, yeah. Yeah. And have them pick up where they left off um, and have them, you know, all get together in a group and ride in a really crowded in a really crowded space and have one person be that person who's going to cut everybody off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and sort of simulate those situations as much as you can. And also just reminding people, like, it's about riding the moment that you're in. David O'Connor said one time in the clinic I was in, he said, ride the horse you have now, not the horse you had two seconds ago. And I was like, wow, that is a really good point. Like you've got to, you've got to ride every stride. And that means that you have to get rid of whatever just happened. One of the cheesiest, but most effective tools I ever, I ever found was just when something goes wrong, say delete. It's so stupid and so corny and it completely works. (laughs) It's just this really short thing that you can do to refocus yourself back in the moment. Just delete, delete whatever just happened. You know, your Uh brain knows exactly what it means because you do it a million times a day on your phone and you don't have to think a whole bunch of thoughts. You just go delete and then put yourself back in the, in the present moment. What do I do next? I love Um, that. That's fantastic. I'm going to, I wrote that down myself. I (laughs) I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. And I was like, that is so cheesy. There's no way in hell that's going to work. Right. And then I was walking my first intermediate cross country course and I walked up to the biggest jump I'd ever seen. And I was like, if I hit my, if I miss my distance here, I'm so dead. Like we're going to have a rotational fall. And then I was like, I can't go around with this thought in my head. Delete. Yeah. And I was like, all right, what have I got to lose? I'll try that stupid trick I heard the other day. And I was like, delete. <laughs> yeah. And I must have said yeah, Don't it, put like, that in the universe. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I must have said it like 30 times around the course as I was walking. And then I realized a couple minutes later, like, oh, I'm back on task. Like, I'm not thinking about that scary thought anymore. And so if you make a mistake, delete it. If you're, you know, if you're getting distracted, delete whatever that thought was and get yourself back in the moment. You know, I think when we watch any of the really amazing riders who are really good at showing, not just at, not just at riding, but really good at performing, they're so fast at recovering from their mistakes because they don't, they don't let themselves get distracted by it. Well, um, and that they make I, mistakes, right? I think yeah, that that, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I had the pleasure actually of going to Aachen last year and people make mistakes. Isabel Ver, yeah. she's the greatest of all time. She makes mistakes. I think for me, yeah. that was like, I always put the pressure on myself. Like I have to be perfect. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, you go to Aachen, this is the biggest show, biggest stage. 
and they're, they're messing up their twos. They're messing up their mm-hmm. ones. Like they're missing the counts. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, yep. you, you build it up in your mind. Like, oh my God, they never make a mistake. I mean, there are times right. they never make a mistake, but there's times that they do too. And, right. you know, so that you have to have a realistic expectation in the way. Exactly. And I always remind dressage riders in particular that you're not striving for perfection. You're striving for excellence. Because there's I'm no such that thing as perfection. Too. Perfection I'm is a frozen down. moment. Yeah, perfection yeah. is a frozen moment in time, right? And then it's gone, poof. Then the next stride happens and, and it's a whole new thing. And so perfection is not actually attainable and it's not even desirable. 10 doesn't say perfect. 10 says excellent on your dressage test. And so trying to keep that in mind and... And the other thing about sort of letting go of the perfection, and this actually maybe maybe I'm sort of percolating this around as as kind of my next book idea, is that you know, if when you're when you're when you're perfectionistic, you can be a too hard on your horse, and b you can play to not to lose instead of playing to win. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like you yes. can be too careful. And you can leave points on the table because you're not taking the risk of going for more brilliance or going for, you know, going for more flash, um, which is what elevates those scores once you get the basics down, right? right. Um, and so, and, and absolutely, like, recognizing that everybody makes mistakes. I think it's a little easier in the event world to see that because there's, you know, I mean, I can't... T- Everybody, all of us fall off at some time or another, at some sense or another. And it doesn't matter if you're Bruce Davidson or you're, you know, the little kid doing their first elementary level event, like everybody hits the ground at times. And we all, you know, we all have run out to fences and that kind of thing. And I think when you watch people who are really, really good and you watch them make mistakes, there's that little, there's that sense of security of like, oh, thank God they're human too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so I always tell people, I'm like, you know, watch and don't just watch like the gold medal round, like watch the other ones and watch how they got where they are and, you know, go back and watch the old videos and notice that like, oh yeah, they kind of bounced around when they sat the trot for a while there too. Yeah. No, it's and so it very really true. Give you a little bit more of a sense of realism about and the whole thing. The other thing sort of going back to fear, you know, I think so many people don't acknowledge fear, right? Like it's a real oh, thing. Right. Like today I was working with someone about Cantor. She had an accident, you know, on a, on a different horse years ago, but you can tell she is afraid. Like she's very scared and she's absolutely capable of cantering. She, she, she did it a couple days ago, but Mm -hmm. it's very difficult. So we haven't not had a chance to read the book yet, but are those strategies kind of talked about in the book or can you tell us a little bit of how to deal with those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, most of the book is sort of working your way through those scary experiences and figuring out ways to, to sort of make it work. So some of it is about challenging your thinking. So most about most things about fear start with the words, what if, right? You know, what if this happens? The problem is that we get stuck in the what if, and we forget to answer the what if with a solution. So, you know, what if my horse, you know, what if my horse takes off with me? Okay, well, first of all, how likely is that to happen? And second of all, what is the worst thing that could happen? What do you think might happen? And it's usually some version of I'm going to fall off and break my neck and die. And then you have to go into, okay, so wait a second, what usually happens when you fall off, you know, and usually people get around to, you know, I hit the dirt, I swear a lot. I dust myself off, I get back on, I'm sore the next day. 
and sort of getting people back to a more realistic place about their about their more scary thoughts. And then also answering those fears with really concrete, tangible solutions. Like, okay, you're worried that your horse might take off. What can you, what are three things that you can do if that happens? You know, I can turn them in a tight circle. I can do a pulley rein, you know, those kinds of things so that people feel that they have strategies um, because that primitive part of your brain, your lizard brain, it creates that fear to try to keep you careful. You know, it's trying to protect you. And especially if you've had a scary experience, those experiences get burned in our brains literally on a neurological level more strongly than our positive experiences do because our brain wants to make sure I'm not ever letting that happen again. I am going to remember that for the rest of my life to make sure I don't get myself in that position again. I always tell people, like, if you think about it from, you know, from a primitive human's point of view, you know, it doesn't matter all that much that you liked the, you liked the strawberry that you ate and that tasted good. You're going to remember the time that your friend ate the mushroom and then they didn't live to see it and they, did, and they didn't live to tell about it. You're going to remember that mushroom, right? Right, um, sure. And that's sure. why that happens. That's why that get, gets burned into our brain so strongly. Um, and so we have, to, we have to address that. And so we have to come up with strategies to like, okay, how do I solve the problem that I'm afraid of? And then teaching people strategies to, to lower their arousal level. So when your heart gets racing and when your breathing gets really fast and you can't, and you can't think straight, you know, stopping and slowing down your breathing and, you know, letting your muscles soften for a few minutes and, you know, bringing down that intensity so that you can think clearly again and you can make better decisions um, and, and feel your way through the situation again. Right. Um, and when it comes to accidents, I always point out to people that like, you, you know, we have really high expectations of ourselves as riders to get right back up off the ground, get our butts back in the saddle and do it again. Right. Like we have, so that's just part of our culture is that we just keep going the problem comes that when you get genuinely injured or you get really, really scared because you could have been badly injured, um, that sticks around. And that's an actual psychological injury. Like your, your neurons in your brain literally get wired differently because of it. Um, and it can be anything from just sort of garden variety fear all the way to post-traumatic stress disorder. And I always point out to people, like, if your horse bowed a tendon, you would not pull him out of the stall the next day and go, come on, buddy, let's go. You're going jumping today. You would never do that to your horse. You'd take the long, slow route of rehab and all that kind of stuff. But people don't always realize that psychological injury is like bowing a tendon. Like you have to treat it as an injury and you have to build yourself back up carefully. Mm -hmm. um, and so when people have a bad experience, then, you know, I take them through doing a little tiny bit at a time. You know, and for some people, that's literally just walking, you know, having somebody give them a pony ride. Um, you know, when my business partner broke her neck a bunch of years ago, when she first got back in the saddle, we put her on the quietest horse in the barn. And I just led her around to make sure that she could, you know, that she was okay just doing that. Sure. Um, and it really, and sort of building back up from that. Um, and so, you know, when your student is learning to cancer, like acknowledging, yeah, that was really scary what happened to you. Um, and let's talk about how you can feel safer to, to do it again, to try it again and let it, it's okay to be scared. Like it is completely normal and it actually makes sense. <laughs> right. No, I um, think that that's, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And, um, I mean, my goodness, I mean, you're just fascinating. Cause I think we all deal with fear and we all deal, you know, 
obviously that's part of Phil and I's job. And that's what we do here on the podcast. We try to, to give some strategies so that people can feel better and better, but you're absolutely right. This is, it's very real thing for people. And, um, it's fascinating. So um, we could keep you online for hours, but <laughs> but Phil's going to tell us how we can get the audio book because we can also get correct a a paperback as well of the book, right? Yeah. How can we- yes, that's right. Yep, you can and- get the paperback at horseandriderbooks.com and it's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that great stuff. Um, but Horse and Rider Books is a small publisher in Vermont. And at this time, I'm sort of really encouraging everybody to support small businesses. So it'd be great if you got it straight from them. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're great, and so, great supporters of us as well, for sure. Yeah, so Phil, how can, we get, how can we get the audiobook? So Trafalgar Square has partnered with uh, an app called Glassbox. You can get all kinds of audiobooks on this app on your Android or iPhone device. And um, so if, if you go on horseandriderbooks.com you can you can click to select and and they'll they'll take you through the steps of of getting it on on audiobook version so that's great fantastic well andrea how can we find you online if writers have more questions uh because i saw you have uh your own practice and writers and trainers can can get in touch with you how how do they do that yes yeah, so you can go to stresslesswriting.com which is my website uh, and you can also find me on Facebook at uh, Stressless Riding Equestrian Coaching. And on Instagram, I'm at Stressless Riding. Fantastic. Not on Twitter. Not on Twitter. <laughs> I hear you, girl. Not on Twitter. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your insight. And we look forward to uh, reading the book. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Well, we've got a quick break from Kentucky Performance Products and I hope you enjoy and also huge shout out to them because we are using the Summer Games electrolytes like crazy down here. And Phil, I think you're the same. Uh, We're really appreciative. We're we're in the summer. So yeah, yeah. electrolytes (laughs) for horses, electrolytes for people. People. I wish they made an electrolytes for people, but they have great electrolytes for horses. And uh, you can always find more information at Kentucky Performance Products. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. We've got a great segment from Megan Brady about body work and explaining body work, and we hope you enjoy the segment. 
Well, tonight, I am so happy to have Megan Brady back on the show. Uh, She's going to talk to us. This is actually how I met Megan, was she is an amazing body worker. So, Megan, welcome to the show, and and we wanted to talk about body work today. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. We're really looking forward to it. And and we wanted to talk about, you know, what is body work? How can, you know, kind of, can you start us 101 and, and take it from there? Sure. So the term body work is really interesting. People always ask, like, what's the difference between body work and massage? So think of body work as the the big umbrella. And then you have these little, you know, you have massage under there. You have acupressure under there. You have Reiki. You have myofascial release. You have sports massage. You have all these other modalities in it. So body work is just a, a general term for all of those things. And so when you meet somebody, they, and they say they're a body worker, you know, they may have one or, you know, 10 different modalities that they use. So that's a little bit of a breakdown because I'll, a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between like a massage therapist and a body worker? And I was, I'm always like, well, you know, a body worker, a massage therapist is a body worker and a body worker you know, can be a massage therapist, but they may not be. So that's a little bit of like the terminology used in terms of whether that's human or horse, actually. Um, so it's a little mm-hmm. one-on-one on the difference of what oh, defines body work. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that's me great. either. Perfect definition. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so talk to us and, this, if you, if you're trying to find a body worker, you know what I mean? If you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a horse, I really want to work with someone. Kind of talk to us about, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even know what certifications are out there. Like, how does that work? So it's very interesting. Every state is different. And so, you know, for myself, I decided that because, you know, each state is different and it's not regulated state by state or actually nationwide. State by state has their own own different rules. And if you want to become a body worker, you kind of need to know what they are. Some you know, require that you work under a vet. Some require, you know, that um, mostly that actually. Um, and so it's really done state by state. Um, and then there is the state of Washington is actually the only state in the United States that requires you to have um, go through a certain protocol in, in their state and get a certification through um, a, a, an association. Um, but every other state is is a little bit different. So that was a little bit why I chose to go through human massage first, because there is, you know, if you in this, I took it in the state of Florida, and I'm also licensed in other states. But the state of Florida is actually the strictest state in the United States, um, along with New York. And so you sit for a board like you would nurse, doctor, lawyer, same thing. And so I, I felt that that gave me personally and my education more clout. And so, and then I went on to different equine certifications. So if people really want to get into body work, I encourage them to really do their research on all the different schools um, out there, because there is a lot out there here in the United States and abroad. Um, And some of them are offer a very um, thorough education and that I can recommend. And there's others that, you know, I would say you probably need a little bit more education if you're going to go out in the field. Um, So as a person that if you're a trainer or a horse owner and you're like, hey, I need a body worker, you know, I always say like, you know, 
you know, talk to people that you know in your area, see who's in your area and, you know, ask them, don't be afraid to ask them, like, what are they educated in? What modalities do they do? Where do they get their education? Um, And then obviously watch them work, you know, that's huge. You know, watch them work on the horses, how they interact and what they're doing and why and ask them questions. I mean, ask them as many questions as you you can because that's super important. And then, you know, the body worker should be able to, you know, talk to you about what's going on with your animal and things that you can do, you know, in between sessions and things like that. You know, there's so many schools out there. And so I can't really, you know, promote one or the other because, you know, they all they all serve a purpose. And some of them, like I said, are, are really great programs. Um, but if you want to be a body worker, just know that it's going to take time and to constantly educate yourself, constantly take continuing education. And, you know, I encourage people to, you know, shadow other professionals when they, they start out. Yeah, no, I think that that's such great advice in anything in the, in the horse world and in a lot of other fields. (laughs) Yeah, it's really true. So, so talk to me about how sort of your, your body worker can work as a team with your farrier and your vet. Like how, how do you work that all together? Sure. And I, you know, I promote the team approach so much with my clients. I, I want to know who their vets are. I want to know who their farriers are. I want to meet them. I want to have conversations with them. I want to know who their trainers are. I, you know, I, I need those, I need that information because, you know, each of us comes to the table looking at something different. You know, Reese, you're going to come to the table looking at from a trainer standpoint, and I'm coming to the table looking at from a body work standpoint. And then your farrier is looking, you know, solely at, you know, his perspective and we all can bring something to the table and, you know, maybe I'm missing something because I'm not looking at it from a perspective of somebody else and vice versa. And I, you know, even for, you know, I always say like, I get other body workers to work on my own horse because I might be missing something because I'm so close to the situation. And so I just encourage there to be always open communication between all the people involved with that animal. This is a team approach, anything from grooms to barn managers, to um, trainers, to farriers, to chiropractors, to um and body workers, massage therapists, or, you know, anybody who's involved, everyone who has kind of hands on with that animal can give you a piece of information. I think that is so important. You know, I, you know, during the, you know, during the season down here in Florida, so many people, you know, I talk to the grooms, they know so much about the animal because they're with them so much. And, you know, they can tell me, oh, yeah, like, he recently started, this horse recently started doing X, Y, Z. And that's really good information for me to know. Also a farrier, I have farriers contact me all the time that I work on their horses and they say, Hey, Megan, just by the way, this week, when I went to shot this horse, he had, he had some problems, like really, you know, holding, I had issues. He really did not want to pick up his left hind and he, he struggled with that. I think there's something going on in that. And so it's just about open communication. Um, and really, you know, we're all here to serve the horse and do the best thing for these equine athletes. And I think we kind of have to put our egos aside and work as a team constantly and just keep that communication open at all, all the time. 
Now, Megan, can you think of any example? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but can you think of any examples that this has worked out really well and for the benefit, uh, you know, of, of the horse and of the riding and the training, you know, having having this team approach? Absolutely. Um, I have a I have a client. It was a new client to me about two years ago, and I I was. With the, I was at the training barn, um, and we just had a. I had a powwow basically with the farrier. Actually, happened to be there. The farrier was there. Um, the trainer was there. The owner was there, and I was there. And it just kind of so happened we all were there at the same time. And this horse really struggled, really struggled getting his feet done. Like had to be sedated. It was really uncomfortable. Um, you know, the whole nine yards. And, you know, unfortunately, because he was so uncomfortable, it became, he became, it became an unsafe situation. So I ended up working on the animal, working on the horse um, for about an hour. And then um, he just went off and, you know, we went off on our day and had a discussion. And what we learned over time, that uh, just having open dialogue, I would work on the horse. We plan it that I work on the horse the day the farrier comes because he doesn't need to be sedated then. And so I think that's a really like, we kind of, you know, put our heads together and to like figure out these puzzle pieces. And here, you know, he just holds tension in his body. He's a very, you know, for, he, he kind of internalizes, he, he is just kind of that animal. But if, if he can release that muscle tension and kind of get into, for lack of a better word, a Zen state, he is not stressed out during his getting shod and he can stand there quietly and not be sedated. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of situations out there that are, you know, like that where horses, you know, just need a little help in that. So that's one situation that I thought was really, you know, like, if we never talked, we would have never figured that out ever. If I never talked to the farrier and figured that out because under saddle, there was no issues. So it was just for whatever reason. And it could have been mentally. We don't, you know, that it could have been, he could have had a bad experience at some point in his life, unfortunately. And for whatever reason, this through our communication, we were able to, you know, come up with a solution for him to make it a much more comfortable situation and pleasant for everyone around. Yeah. And, and and safer and all the things. So I I think that that's all the things. And, you know, I can name several different, you know, other situations where, you know, the trainer is feeling something, you know, in training and, you know, the vet comes out and they don't see anything or there's nothing, you know, that can be diagnosed. Um, but then, you know, maybe I can put my hands on the horse and say, ah, you know, he's just really, you know, something's, you know, maybe going on in his right shoulder and we need to look at this a little bit more or, you know, there's, there's too much tension here for what he's doing in his career right now. You know, it could be simple, simple things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, I think, you know, again, sometimes it takes a little time to coordinate, um, but Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, you know, we're all into this for, for the horse and to make the horses better and, and to hear how you can really do that is it's, it's truly amazing. So, well, Megan, yeah. we can't thank you enough for all your time tonight. Um, can you give us some, uh, how, how can we find you online? Sure. 
So my business is Equine Solutions. You can find myequinesolutions.com is my website and then my equine solution on Facebook and on Instagram. Those are my, where you can contact me and I do travel all over, all over the country basically at this point. So yeah, if you're interested or just want to learn more about becoming a body worker, feel free to call me. I'm happy to chat. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Megan. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. It may not be till Florida next year, but I can't wait to see you. I know, right? (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) Stay safe. As everybody knows, we are huge fans of Total Saddle Fit and we use all of their products. We use the Gers, we use the uh, stability stirrup leathers, which we love. And Phil, you pulled out something this week that we don't talk about that often, but it's fantastic. Yeah. So Total Saddle Fit makes a shimmable sheepskin pad, which comes in very handy. And this is the reason I, I pulled it out when you have a horse with a bit of a changing back. So uh, I'm riding a five-year-old and that can be an age which the horse is developing and he's he's getting muscle over his top line. He's learning all about that. But I sort of pulled the saddle out and said, oh, I don't think this is really working at the moment. You know, let me take a look. So there was a bit of bridging happening, you know, in the in the panel. And I just said, you know what, let me just let me just shim this up a little bit and see if it, you know, in my opinion, works a little bit better. And then I can call the the saddler out and because you can call the saddler and they're not going to come for like who knows how many weeks, especially in the summer when they're so busy. So that that's it. And I'm so thankful that I have that to help fit the saddle a little bit better in the meantime before getting getting the saddler out to really, you know, do do the proper adjustments and, and the flocking in the saddle. And uh, it's been such a, a great product to uh, to sort of I call it bridging the gap, you know, if you're yeah. <laughs> You know, with young horses, especially the the three year olds, as you start them and they change so fast, like every three months. You, I think realistically, you're not going to get a saddle refit every three months. So, right. if you have a shimmable pad, which you know, Total Saddle Fit makes an awesome shimmable pad, and you can actually send pictures of your horses back, and you can get recommend in pictures of your saddle, and you can send that to Justin at um, at Total Saddle Fit, just care at totalsaddlefit.com, and he will give you advice. He'll, you know, maybe you put this, you know, put the shims in here and there. And, you know, through that, I've sort of learned that process of, I think this needs to be shimmed here, you know, and I'm obviously not a, uh, you know, a saddler and, but I've, you know, you kind of learn enough through tips and tricks and, and, uh, you know, to make it work uh, for the meantime. So really, really appreciate that product that's become in handy on so many horses. It's fantastic. Well, as always, we love Total Saddle Fit and we appreciate all their help with our show. And uh, we are going to come back. We've got a great tip of the week that you and I just did. Well, Phil, I've got a topic this week for our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week. I'm excited to hear it. Let me know what you got. Okay. All right. So this has happened. There's a couple students in my life right now who have purchased Schoolmasters. And, uh, very, very lucky and they love their horses and they're so, so very excited about purchasing schoolmasters. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about what that means. I think a lot of people purchase some really, really nice horses and they're able to do that. And this particular rider is, is very, very, very good. And she works very, very, very hard, but she's never had a horse like this. So it really brings some challenges to, you know, she wants to show and she wants to go out and she wants to do, but 
it's it's hard. It's kind of like, you know, buying a Ferrari and just because you know how to drive a car doesn't necessarily know you. I can't drive a Ferrari. I'd love to learn, <laughs> but you'd have to learn, right? And and there's some level of that. So I just wanted to talk about that because I don't think we've ever kind of talked about that subject. So why don't you uh, kind of start us off on on your thoughts and and what you've worked with your, with your students? I mean, to to be able to have the opportunity to purchase or lease or ride a horse that's trained to a much higher level than your own riding is is a fantastic experience. I you know recommend it for everyone. I think the uh, a larger issue is that these horses are not really available in North America. You know, in in Germany, in Holland, in Europe. You know, at your local schooling stable, they have a variety of really well-trained, usually older horses that aren't ready to retire but are done in the, in the show in the show world, and they're you know they're sent on to teach younger kids or more beginner riders or you know even intermediate riders the the basics around dressage. But I think the focus here is the basics of dressage. They're really good. They got lots of buttons. They they can do lots of tricks. But what they're really meant for and really makes them special is that you can learn how to do a length and trot. Not even an extended trot. Just how to do a proper length and trot. I, th- I mean, this these experiences are invaluable to learn really well how to do first and second level. I think the misconception is that you buy a schoolmaster that might be trained to the FEI levels, pre-St. George to Grand Prix, and then now I can ride pre-St. George to Grand Prix. And that's yeah. really not how it works. And it's yeah. not fair on the horse either. That's because true. you're not a pre-St. George rider. So just because a horse knows how to do it doesn't mean that you're in tune enough or balanced enough or strong enough to be able to ride all of those movements and ride those tests and go out in in three months and and show priest and charge, yeah. So no, I, I, I think this is what you're what you're talking about a little bit in in your in your experiences, and yeah. it's nothing to say that there's bad they're, that they're bad riders and that no, they just, no. you know, but no one Not can just all. hop on and just and just do unless That's you've right. experienced before and you have to any horse that you ride you have to start from the beginning, solidify the basics and move your way up. You so really you, have to kind of walk before you run. You know, yeah. you have to do like yeah. literally work your way up the scale. Um, yeah. You know, start a Doesn't training. Doesn't matter how high, how high the horse is trained. That's right. You have to, well, first of all, it's a year before you're in in yeah. sync with the horse. You know, we, you know each other really well. There's a lot of trust going on. You've worked with the horse a year. That's yeah. five days of riding, not one or two, and your trainer rides it the rest. So... You know, you got to put the time in, time in the tack to just figure it all out, temper your expectations, and then, you know, maybe do a second level test a year from purchasing a Priest and George horse. Yeah. There's no substitute for time. There's no substitute for just learning how to really get balanced, get the basics, get the communication down. And, And then if you, I mean, if you are a good rider, you might be able to just, you know, go next year, third level, next year, fourth level, next year, Priest and George. Great. But you don't get to skip all the intermediate steps uh, just because, you know, you spend a lot of money and, and, and you know, the horse knows what he's doing. That's it's a lot of effort. There is a lot of effort. And then, and then I have to say, then once you get your schoolmaster out there, you say, okay, well, this is what it feels like. And, you know, you basically, you know, you can get some, 
get some good scores and go to the shows. And then your next horse that you bring along, maybe you get another schoolmaster. Then maybe you can hop St. Priest and George to Priest and George yeah, in a year. Right. But you got to know it. You got to know it first because you're, you're wandering around in the dark with a flashlight where the horse knows, <laughs> knows the test or not. So no, I mean, a lot of time, you know, and it's not, there's no substitute for good eyes on the ground and good training. And there's no good, no substitute for good practice. Good practice. Yeah. That's, I think that's critical, right? It, you know, it's okay to practice. Like practice is great. We all need to practice, but if you're practicing the wrong things, then, you know, the horses can get sore or they get fussy because they're like, wait a minute, this isn't what I'm used to having. You know, I'm not used to this. Or, or you just get really good at doing it badly. Yeah. Or get really good at doing it I, badly. Yeah. I think, well, uh, who did we hear that from in the, in the trainer symposium in the, earlier this year? That was this, uh, who said that? It was, I, I can't, there were four instructors at that one and I can't remember who's, did Ashley yeah. Holster say that? Ashley. Yeah, it was Ashley. Yeah. She's like, don't get good at, at doing, doing things badly. Yeah. <laughs> That's where, you know, a weekly trainer steps in or if you can do two, two, I was going to say, when you get a, when you get a horse like that and you're just learning how to ride it, you pretty much need a trainer. If you can do it as much as you can do it, ideally every day for a while until you really understand, because if the horse and the trainer know, and then you really have to listen to the trainer (laughs) and listen to what they're telling you and why they're telling you that, because again, the horse knows and, and it's tough. I mean, it's, it's such a hard thing because you think, oh, I can do this. I'm a good rider and I bought a good horse and. I should be able to go out and do that. And it's, it's, it's just not the way of the world. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, even professionals, even, you know, you, you start on a horse, but you gotta, you gotta take your time, figure out where the buttons are, find the right rhythms, temp, you know, rhythm and tempo, um, know what to expect. No, it's just, it's really, really hard because they're going to come, they're going to, the horse is going to come be coming from a different rider, a different trainer, Mm-hmm. And they're going to come into the situation like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Or, you know, a little, you know, even though if they're super quiet and, and hopefully they're really good, it's just everybody trains a little bit differently and they, and they apply sure. their aids a little bit differently. And it's a, it's a big adjustment for a horse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it it's a huge adjustment for a rider. So Yeah, it is. So be easy on yourself, but, but no, if you, if you do go purchasing the schoolmaster, which is amazing if you have the opportunity and that is how you learn to ride. Uh, that's how Phil and I learned to ride. Like <laughs> that's how you do it. Then you do have to be patient and you have to know it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight as much as you want it to happen overnight. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that for anybody. So yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that's, those are some such good points. And, and I do wish that we had more horses like Europe, um, in your local riding school. We don't even really have local riding schools. We don't have local riding schools, first of all. So there you go. <laughs> Number okay. one. If we and did, we would, fill, yeah. we would fill them with horses with a ton of experience, whether it's in dressage or show jumping or eventing, a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, eventing, I think that's a world that you absolutely need a, sco- you know, a, a schooled horse for safety reasons. You know, for us, it's not necessarily safety reasons, but you have to feel for the horse who's, you know, where this rider is gung ho and ready to go and ready to ready to conquer the world. And and the horse is like, well, I just want to do what I was doing before. And their life changes so much. It's just it's it's very hard. It's very hard. And uh, there's there is not an expectation from your trainer or 
no anybody that that like oh we're gonna we're gonna get this liquidly split and you know the the bonus is that uh that you have a chance to get it right once in a while and really get a get a feel for 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 what's good well i love it phil i think that's a, a great discussion on on this topic and uh, it's it's a good good way. And hopefully you, again, it's a journey and you enjoy the journey with your new horse. So I love it. Thanks, Phil. That was great. Well, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. We, we love them. We've really enjoyed the uh, workout ones. Those have really made us laugh uh, and we appreciate them. So as always, keep them coming. Questions, anything we can do uh, to uh, keep you guys entertained, we would love to do it. And as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to reach me is through Facebook or my email, philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down, your shoulders back, your masks on, and stay safe and well. And we will talk to you next week. 